Greetings, church family. This is Pastor Andrew, uh, welcoming you all back to another Bible talk. Glad that you can be here. It's not my Bible talk, it's Dr. Brad Stevenson's, but uh, obviously we're here in his stead for the next couple weeks, and we're glad that you're here with us. I just wanted to welcome you in the name of the Lord at this time, and I look forward to spending the next 15 minutes with you as we break into and dig into God's Word together. So um, just want to give you a quick update on Pastor Brad. Uh, His surgery was Yesterday, Tuesday the 17th, uh, the uh, surgery was successful. Uh, They were able to remove the kidney um, and everything went very well. I know that Pastor Brad is um, still in a lot of pain and had a rough night of sleep, but uh, if you can continue to pray for he and and the family, he's got um, two of his daughters here, his mom is in town and obviously Miss Pam. And so the family has a lot of support right now, which is great. And, uh, but just want to keep you updated with Pastor Brad, but um, the surgeon uh, thinks it went very well. They are going to send off the kidney for more tests just to see the, the extent of the cancer and to do more tests. But um, a, lot of, a lot of things to be thankful for at this point in time in his recovery. So just wanted to keep you up to date on that. So let's pray and then we'll get into our study for today and then... Uh, We'll, we'll be able to share in God's word together. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this opportunity. Lord, thank you for your word and that we can um, just get into it. Lord, hopefully be encouraged in a way, uh, Lord, that is based off of your word doing a work in our hearts. Lord, we love you. We just thank you for your love in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So um just wanted to, again, welcome you. I uh, got to be a part of last week's Bible talk, got to preach on Sunday. Um, This next week, we'll be focusing on the church. On Sunday, we'll be focusing on the church in Smyrna. Pastor Juan will be preaching and uh, looking forward to hearing him. Um, It's been a long long time since I've heard Pastor Juan preach, and so looking forward to him uh, sharing what the Lord's put on his heart for this week coming up. So all that to say, we're going to focus on a couple things uh, still based off of the seven letters we've talked about, as I mentioned on Sunday, that each letter has a certain opening and a certain ending. Uh, we're going to talk about that briefly, um, and then we possibly can get into a time of the Nicolaitans. Nicolaitans. I I said it wrong on Sunday. I want to apologize. I said the Nicolaitans. It's the Nicolaitans. Um, I want to make sure I pronounce that correctly. So. Uh, forgive me for that faux pas, but uh, we might talk a little briefly today about the Nicolaitans as well, and then um, stop after that for today's time together. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Revelation 2, and um, again, I'm just going to kind of focus on, as I said in the sermon, there's a certain structure to all of the letters to the churches. There's a introduction and a description of Jesus. There's an I know statement. There's a, for five of the seven, there's a kind of a rebuke and a call to repentance. There's the command that he who has an ear to let them hear. And then there's a promise to those who overcome what shall happen to them. And so we're going to be focusing today briefly on the introduction and the overcoming statement that we see to the church of Ephesus. So in Revelation 2 verse 1, it says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, say this. And so 
we see some terminology right from the get-go. Jesus speaking to the angel of the church in Ephesus, right? And so the word angel in the Greek uh, is actually the word messenger as well. And it's an interesting word because we have a picture of, of maybe some sort of angelic being. We don't know if that's actually the case. Could be. Um, but it's also the word for messenger. And 2 Corinthians chapter 12, when we see that great expression by Paul where he talks about how my grace is sufficient for you, that God's power is made perfect in our weakness. He precedes that statement talking about how he had this vision of being caught up to the third heaven and that because God didn't want him to gain a posture of pride, that in, and it says a messenger from Satan went to uh, Paul and and obviously um, some sort of oppression took place. And so that word messenger could be angel. Um, same, same word is used there. So when we see the word messenger, angel, understand that the role is what they're referring to. Um, it could be a person. It could be an actual angelic being. And so we don't know for sure in context to the church in Ephesus, but um, let's proceed. As I said on Sunday in the third service, um, it's really interesting because the church of Ephesus, we actually know more about it from Acts than we do know about it from the letter that we would call the letter to the Ephesians. And so um, if you look and you read the letter to the Ephesians, it's a very interesting letter because Paul is writing and it makes it sound like he hasn't met the people that he's writing to, which is very interesting because he had a great deal of time in Ephesus. He knew the uh, Ephesians well. He was there for three years. Um, again, as I had mentioned in Acts 20, when he comes back to Jerusalem, he calls the elders of Ephesus to come back. And so um, it's really, you know, um, how do we get the name? That's it's uh, as far as the letter to the Ephesians. There's there's some different theories on that. We're not going to dig in that today. It doesn't honestly really matter at this point in time. Obviously, it's a letter that the church of Ephesus would have received at some point. Um, but in the earliest manuscripts, it doesn't even say to the church of Ephesus in Ephesians 1. And so I say all that because it's important when we try to understand about this church, we have to go back to what we know about this church. And so, again, um, in Asia Minor, um, on the west coast of Asia Minor, it was a major hub for transit, for commercial trade. Um, it had one of the seven wonders of the world in it, in a temple to Artemis. Um, it was a big, big deal. And so, uh, but there was a very established church there. And, um, and so, um, we have this letter from Jesus to the church. One more quick fact about the church of Ephesus. Uh, church history would say that after John wrote the book of Revelation on the island of Patmos, and Domitian was uh, the emperor at the time, but soon later he died and John was released, church history would say that this John actually went and served in the church of Ephesus later on. And so again, there's a, a close relationship with John as well. To the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, say this. And so we have a description of Jesus. We see it in chapter one. 
um, this description in verses um, in verses 12 through 16 of chapter 1. We see this description of, of uh, John seeing Jesus and walking among the lampstands. We know that the lampstands refer to the churches. Um, and the fact that they use the number seven should not be, um, that shouldn't be something we dismiss. Um, seven is a number that we see repeatedly in Revelation. We have the seven seals, the seven bowls, the seven trumpets. Um, we know that no, seven in, in scriptural reference is a number, like I said, of completion. And so while it's seven letters to seven churches, it really represents the churches as a whole and the completion of the universal church <clears throat> that he's writing to as well. And so the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, we see again in Revelation that is described as the seven spirits of God. And while we don't have a lot of context for what that actually means, we know that in the right hand of Jesus, there are the seven stars. And so in scripture, we see a, a lot of reference to the right arm or the right hand of God. There's a domination that takes place. We see it in uh, Psalm 118, how the strong right arm of the Lord, the strong right arm of the Lord, the strong right arm of the Lord. So there's this um, understanding that the right arm of God, the right arm of the Lord, this dominance, Jesus being at the right hand of the Father, being a picture of dominance, a picture of rule and authority. So we see the one who has the seven stars in his right hand and the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands say this. And so obviously on Sunday we had our message about uh, verses two through five. And so I won't pick up on that again today. I do think it's interesting that remembering was the first thing that he charged them to do. He says, remember, like, don't forget. I think so often as believers, we forget what God has done. We forget who we are in Christ. We forget the promises of God. Um, I'm in our, uh, a part of our youth room right now. And over here to the side, I, I have these names of God posted on the wall. Yehovah uh, Shalom, Yehovah Shama, Yehovah Nisi, Yehovah El Shaddai, Yehovah El Roy, Yehovah Rapha, Yehovah Elohim, Yehovah Jireh, and Yehovah Raha. And they all have a separate meaning of God, not because we made it up, but because God called himself. We need to remember um, who God is, who we are in light of not what we think we are, but in light of what God says about us. And so we have that word of remembrance. Uh, let's pick up in verse six, and then we'll uh, go to the part where he overcomes, and then, uh, or for those who overcome the promise, and then we'll close for today. In uh, verse six, it says, Yet this you do have, talking to the church of Ephesus, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, I said it right, which I also hate. And we'll hear more about it in uh, not this Sunday, but following. But the Nicolaitans were, um, they don't know for sure where they came from. We don't have much reference outside of, well, there is no really reference in the Bible to the Nicolaitans outside of Revelation. And so for a brief point of reference, they don't know for sure. But um, some of the early church fathers attributed the Nicolaitans to Nicholas. If you go to take your Bibles and go quickly to Acts 6, 
in Acts 6, you have the choosing of the seven. This is the first time we kind of see the, the usage of deacons, people to serve. You had elders and apostles in the early church, and um, there was issues as far as the food being distributed evenly to certain people. And then in Acts 6, verse 5, or verse 4, um, actually, verse 3. We'll go back to verse 3. It says this, Therefore, brethren, select among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. Uh, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. So they're raising up, picking seven men, um, and giving them the task of taking care of these needs amongst the body. The statement found full approval of the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, the first martyr, but a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. We see Philip, Prochorus, uh, Nicanor, Timon, Parmen, uh, Parmenas, and Nicholas. And so uh, the early church fathers, Arrhenius and, and uh, a couple others, they attributed the uh, Nicolaitans that we see in Revelation as a group that followed Nicholas who went off and started to misconstrue scripture and bend scripture to allow their freedom um, to engage in sexual immorality and to do things that were contrary to God's desires. And so, again, as I mentioned briefly on Sunday, we had this contrast of um, Jesus telling them they've lost their first love, but then Jesus following up like, I hate this stuff too. And so sometimes it's hard for us to understand, like, does God hate? Does Jesus hate? And obviously Jesus here is clearly saying he hates their deeds. And um, again, we'll spend more time in a couple of weeks and Pastor uh, Cody King will be preaching on the 29th, speaking into that a little bit more. So just a brief, brief background on the Nicolaitans. And if you'd like to do some more study on it on your own, that's always a good thing. And there's a great many resources out there to do that. Let's close with verses, uh, with verse seven. It says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And so we see this reference to the tree of life. And, and I love, there's so much imagery in scripture and there's so many correlations and ties to scripture throughout scripture. And so we see at the very beginning in creation, we have this garden, the garden of Eden, and we have the tree of life. And we know that after Adam and Eve sinned, that, G, that God made a concerted effort to keep Adam and Eve away from the tree of life. Um, uh, to protect them ultimately from being an internal state of sin, to not eat of the tree of life. But we know that the tree of life is not done for. In Revelation, when you get to the very end and the description in chapter 22, we see that there's a river that flows from um, the new heaven, new earth. And on either side is the tree of life and that it has fruit to feed over the 12 months of the year and that its leaves provide healing to the nations. And so we see that the tree of life is something that represents the life of God and the character of God. And we see to those who overcome. And overcoming is a big thing. Overcoming is, is a word that is not short uh, on usage in the New Testament. Uh, Jesus 
uh, warns his followers. We see it in Mark 13. We see it in Matthew. He warns as far as the coming trials, the coming tribulations, and that they have to overcome. The theme in Revelation is this constant theme of overcoming. One of the unique things as far as the book of Revelation is there's really no reference or there's no pointing to um, Jesus coming and rapturing the church. We don't, we do, it does return, uh, it does speak to Jesus coming like a thief in the night and returning, but there's no, there's not a, there's not a, a, a clear, even allusion towards the removal of the church. Um, what's interesting is that we really don't hear much about the church after chapter three. And so people have all sorts of thoughts as far as how that fits into a certain timeline. Uh, I'm not making any sort of insinuation in this context right now. Um, but it's interesting if you read throughout Revelation, there's this command for those in Christ to continue, to overcome, to persevere. Um, we see it through the tribulation. We see it in relationship to the beast and how he goes after those who follow um who follow God and what that looks like. We have those who have been martyred, those who have been dressed in white because they did not allow themselves to take the mark. So how this plays into our own situation, our own context, where, again, everyone wants to know a, a kind of like what happens when and what happens next. All I know is that there's a very clear, um, there's a very clear commandment to overcome. But here's the good news. Christ has already overcome. Christ has overcome. And we have the ability in Christ to persevere with him. And in verse 7, To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. What's interesting is Adam and Eve were not allowed to eat because in their sinful state, if they ate, they would have been doomed for eternity. But in Christ, he's promising, even though we were born into sin, the newness of life in Christ gives us the freedom to eat of the tree of life. This verse in itself points back to the mercy and the powerful work of Jesus. In my sin, in my sinful nature, if I ate of the tree of life, I'm in as much of a dangerous position as Adam and Eve were in the garden at the end of chapter 3 of Genesis. But right here, we have, for those who overcome, because of the work of Jesus on the cross, because of his resurrection, we now can go to the tree of life. We can reach up and take fruit from the tree of life, and we can eat, which is in the paradise of God. How good is the salvation of Jesus? That we don't have to be afraid. I mean, there was a sword that kept Adam and Eve away from it. And yet we'll, for those who, again, for those in Christ, for those who overcome, we'll have the ability um, in the new heaven and the new earth to have access to the tree of life. Amen. Well, that's our time for today. Hopefully it was an encouragement. Um, and hopefully I got all my pronunciations correct, especially on the, uh, on the different names in Acts 6. Guys, we love you very much. We are thankful for our church. We're thankful for you. And while I'm talking to the back of my phone, I know there's people behind that lens. And uh, I appreciate you all. And, uh, if, you know, individual, I love the people of our church, and I'm glad, and I hope that this is a level of encouragement, even just a little bit today, that we can fix our eyes on Jesus, 
that we can trust him that he is overcome and because he's overcome, we can overcome. And because we can overcome, we can have the life of God eternally. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you for today, Lord. Thank you for this time. Lord, may your life just live in and through us, Jesus, because you're alive. We love you, Jesus. We know that you're in control. We trust you. Help us, Lord, to persevere. Help us to overcome. Help us not to be afraid. Lord, help us not to be afraid, knowing that you cause all things to work for the good of those who love you and for those who have been called according to your purposes. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Take care. We'll see you next week.